You're listening to the Say Chill Podcast with Dr. Chip Dodd. Say Chill is a social impact organization that helps people see who they are made to be so they can do what they are made to do. Too often leaders try to get their needs met through their achievement, ambition, and calling. In this podcast, Chip sits down with his longtime friend, Stephen James, to discuss the five common pitfalls in leadership. Chip, in a recent podcast, we talked about that fourth relationship of creativity and service and really engaging our lives with our hearts. And last year you wrote a blog for Sachel Counseling website called Five Common Pitfalls of Servant Leaders. We're going to reissue that that blog on the Sachel Institute website. But this when we're talking about addiction, this blog came to mind for me because it reminded me of so many ways servant leaders are trying to get their needs met without bringing their heart first. They've turned servant leading or leadership into performance. They've turned parenting into performance. They've turned church work into performance. It ends up, it ends up killing them. And you lay out really nicely in this thing five pitfalls that servant leaders fall into. And it's mm-hmm. almost progressive. It's like boom, yeah. boom, boom, boom. Would you talk yeah. about that a little bit? Yeah, and, uh, yeah, I'd love to. Most leaders, many leaders, are tragically idealistic carry around idealisms rather than focusing on, on an ideal. What does that mean? Uh, what that means is idealistic people are people who are shooting for perfection. And on some level, they mistakenly believe it can be achieved. And so therefore, today is always tomorrow. And it's because today is the day that you're going to face the imperfection that we're always works in progress, that Today is the day that no matter how good it gets, there's still going to be things we've missed and things we haven't completed, and we're not where we want to be yet because perfectionists, are their, their life is in the land of tomorrow. Almost ambition-driven. Uh, ambition-driven. And idealistic people really cling to the delusion. They actually believe that there's some place that they can get to where life won't happen like it happens. And the best we ever get that you and I have talked about before is humans will always be clumsy. The best we ever get is like giraffes running on ice. No matter how sophisticated, no matter how much scientific advancement we make, we're going to have sickness. No matter how sophisticated, we're still going to trip over objects. I mean, it's it's life, and it's scary, and it's sad, and it's tough, and it's often tragic, and it's wonderful, and it's joyous, and it's breathtaking, and it's lonely, and it's heart-crushing, and that's life. So how is the so ambition and idealism Well, idealistic people believe that we can somehow or another come to a place where we get rid of all the things that I just said that you don't want in your life, that the sadness can be eradicated and the loneliness, or there's some way to make it stop. And idealists, people who are idealistic, are great at promising tomorrow, but they don't know how to help you live in today, really in a lot of ways. So one of the pitfalls of a leader who is idealistic is that they don't want to face that the best we ever get is like giraffes running on ice. And also, they also believe in in that there's some place called a way. There's some place we can get to, create or build, where we're away from the life we have to live in. And the truth is, there's no such place as a way, but there is a place called RE, you know, replenishment, recovery, restoration, which is a daily experience of facing how tired you are at the end of the day. Anyway, 
leaders who want to make a better life are extraordinary people and they do make life better. But the pitfalls that they often fall into that come with perfectionism is that as they often tend to be people pleasers, high achievers, and caregivers. So in, in some ways, they don't want to see themselves as having to fail. And no matter how great my vision or even how small my vision, if I have a vision of how life could be and I move towards that vision with passion, I've got to be willing to lose because no, no dream that we're capable of dreaming can ever be accomplished on this earth because mm. we carry eternity in our chest. So these leaders are doing the same thing. If they make the mistake of believing that somehow that that eternity can be achieved here, they're off track before they've begun in some ways. And these are some of the pitfalls that can affect them. They often end up believing, no matter how they tell themselves cognitively, but emotionally, their achievement or their work becomes their worth. Their moods be begin eventually to be attached to the progress. I think we've all done that, right? We've all, mm -hmm. if I don't get this thing done or I don't accomplish this, then I'm worth less. Yes. Like I've hooked yes. my ideals or my dreams or yes. my passions mm -hmm. to the outcome of this yes. event. Now, achievement is an incredible thing. I believe in achievement. I believe in getting But when my done. worth is tied to the achievement, but when your worth is it's tied a trap. To it. mm -hmm. It's a terrible trap because we have not been taught and we have forgotten in our society that uh, you're born with a certain amount of worth. You have this God-given worth that you're born with, and this worth is attributed to you, even by your parents, even by anyone who's glad you're in the world, to, to this little urchin, this little creature who can't do anything or give anything or add anything. I mean, this little baby pees and poops and sings the need song, and people bend over and coo and promise everything in the world to give them because they see them as worth it. And yet, in, in the economy of life, this child has no worth whatsoever because they can't bring anything to it. They don't give anything to it. So we, somewhere along the line, begin to associate this God-given worth with somehow something that goes up or down. I think it's the self-esteem school that we just talked about a lot before. And instead of experiencing our worth through the love of others because we're present and the love of God because He cares, we start to experience our worth based upon what people think of us. Kind of like the first addiction is the addiction to people-pleasing, yeah. approval-seeking. I think that's got to be specifically hard for people who are in servant professions, doctors, pastors, mm -hmm. therapists, mm -hmm. teachers, mm -hmm. moms. Therapists. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, moms, dads. Moms, dads. People who really want good. Hey, Stephen, anybody cares about Anybody that cares. They can lose their worth and their caring. Absolutely. Like in their attempts to make things okay. And anyone who cares is a leader, Stephen. So this idea that leaders are some special breed of people CEO. that yeah. are superior to other people is insane. It's not true. It's, it's not real. But even our thinking like that proves the fallacy or the mistakes or the setup for the pitfalls because we think of leaders as not us. We think of leaders as them. And we start looking up towards a pedestal of someone who is not really human, mm. that they don't make the same mistakes. Then I have more shame about they, myself yes, for every mistake I know I've made. They don't have the same struggles. Yeah. And so we, we actually set our leaders up to, for, to be worshipped. And anyone who believes that their worth isn't God-given and solid at birth on some level needs to be worshipped to be okay. In other words, they need to be right, they need to be perfect, 
They need to be well thought of. They need to be best liked. They need to be competitively above others to be okay. So the pitfalls, we associate our work with our worth, that, that my last performance equals how much I matter. And the person will often confuse performance with presence. What does that mean? What that means is that a person sees themselves as loved because of what they do instead of cared about because who they are. A doctor is most valuable at work if the doctor believes that if he performs well, he'll be most loved. The doctor finds his greatest or her greatest value at work because the doctor is in command. Well, they're in their competencies, too. Uh -huh. They're skilled there. Mm -hmm. They know what they're doing there. And uh -huh. They really can trust that their performance is going to be good. Exactly. And so when they go home, having a stethoscope and a prescription pad, unless somebody's sick or needs to have their blood pressure or heart check, they're kind of like needed for them because the children don't say, Dr. So-and-so. The children say, Dad. And the spouse doesn't say, Dr. So-and-so. The spouse says, Sweetheart or Jim or Sarah or whomever. And so... So where does their presence go? Their presence is hidden underneath their performance. And the belief is that if, if people really know who I am, what I'm like, and that I struggle, that it will, it will make them think less of me or it will harm them. Or they'll give them permission to go do things that will harm them. It's just very tragic. And actually, I love doctors. I want to go to doctors who stop for lunch. Uh, who, who make time to go to lunch. I remember when William was terribly injured with a, a facial injury from baseball. To, he collided with another player. And we were at the emergency room, and his very, very, very competent, tough female ER doc came in. And I, I just, just loved her style from the beginning. She was very, she didn't waste any time. She made sure things happened. She got things to happen. And after William was settled in, it was uh, 5, 5.15. She said, uh, y'all excuse me, I'll be back in an hour and a half. I'm going to go work out and eat, and I'll see you guys in a little while. And she left. And I thought, yes, because I, number one, have a doctor who will tell the truth. Number two, I have a doctor who will take care of herself. And therefore, if her mind is right and she's not hungry and her glucose isn't low, and if she's not irritable, restless, and discontent, then she's going to be fully present mm -hmm. with her competencies. She's not going to be performing You're and hiding, hiding behind a performance. Absolutely. So she went to work out. She came back. I noticed that the bun in her hair was still a little bit wet. And she came back and, and started, went, stepped right into taking care of business. And I that called. That takes so much courage. Oh, it was step awesome. Away from it was awesome. And it takes courageous people to wish for somebody to be present. Because I know that a person has great courage to be present. So, I mean, she found the right patient, and I found the right doctor. Mm -hmm. In fact, I called the hospital later just to say how much I appreciated her, like I loved her, because she went and took care of herself, mm. you know. She didn't confuse her work with her worth. No. She didn't hide her presence and her performance. No. So she was able to show up. Yeah, yes. and Which and, is that third pitfall. If I'm, not, if I'm doing that, yeah. then I've got to be, if, if I'm hiding, if I'm trying to achieve to be loved, mm -hmm and I'm hiding my presence behind that, then I'm going to have to isolate. Isolate is the third movement in the moving towards the fall mm. because ultimately there's nowhere where I can be myself. For example, the physician I was describing earlier, if he or she isn't comfortable 
being human, when that person goes home and they need some time to decompress, the children are having needs, if they don't know how to say Children it. never have needs, especially exactly. at 4 o'clock. Exactly. It's 5 o'clock or 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock. They have lots of needs. Yes. And so the, the dad or mom really needs to be able to say, need to be able to say, give me 30 minutes. I'll be with you, sweet kids. In just a few minutes, I just need to sit down and think. Or the doctor needs to learn how to go to the gym on the way home. Or not the bar, but the gym. Or to, to talk to a mentor, a friend, or a sponsor. A phone call on the way Not home. an affair. A friend, a same-sex friend, okay? <laughs> and then when they go home, then they can uh, be human and hear the name dad, and it doesn't mean should, have to, obligated. They can hear the name sweetheart, and it does not automatically assume that something else I have to do. But the problem is that many leaders are, by the time they're married and have kids, are already stuck in the idea that I'm going to work and then somewhere somebody's going to pay me with adoration for that work I do. And that, that doctor will go home looking for the wife to adore and fix the pain of a day that she doesn't even really understand. And what she happened. can't fix his pain. She can't fix his pain, nor can he fix hers. Fix her pain, right. So what happens is this person has nowhere to go to be himself, to get his or her own needs met. So isolation removed from how I'm made begins to be the only place this person can go to be at peace. Even like vacation, like escape into yes. vacation. Yes, and, yes. Yeah. yeah, and they believe that unless they're an example, they don't have much worth, and they don't believe that anybody really wants to know them, so they're being farther and farther removed mm. from how they're made and who they're made to be, mm. human being who practices a skill, an art, or a competency. And then what happens next is that this person starts to do something to make themselves feel better. A drink here, a flirtation there, a leaning into a sexual uh, mood alteration experience, losing oneself even in a hobby, buying things and not telling anyone they bought them, spending a great deal of time in fantasy. And fantasies about, like, if people knew I was thinking this, they would not want me in their lives. And, mm -hmm. and all of that territory is the territory of secrecy. And secrecy requires that a person withhold their emotional truths and their spiritual connection, hunger for connection. And so if I'm in relationship with you and I have secrets, it means I can't be close to you. And so a person isolates to protect themselves but they have to keep secrets about what they're doing. Yes, and then the person more collects, isolated. collects secrets. Performing the way, more to get their worth. Because yeah, remember, the devil always says, nobody has to know. And then after we've done what nobody has to know, then the devil says, so to speak, now what if somebody finds out? So now I am literally alone. This leader who was a visionary, who had ideals that were tragically idealistic. Really cared. Cares started out with wanting to help, had, had helping mixed up with worth in the very beginning, and achievement mixed up with somehow credibility, uh, suddenly doesn't know how to be human, and they are becoming more isolated, more secretive, more ashamed, more withdrawn, uh, and they literally are splitting apart. Their performance ends up being a caricature 
or just an actor that they watch while there's a person sitting inside that's slowly, slowly, slowly fading away. So they become a thing. And yeah, other they become, become a things. thing. Mm -hmm. And then uh, what happens next is they literally see themselves as an object uh, for which nobody can really care, including them. They can suffer an injury or end up getting sick. Uh, they won't pay attention to it. A physician that we treated here, a neurologist, uh, in fact, a very um, well-known neurologist from the East Coast, came here, uh, never, had, uh, never had one single lawsuit, no suits. The perfect doctor. The, perf the perfect neurologist, a t terrible alcoholic. While he was here in his second month beginning with us, we sent him to the dentist, and he had 20 teeth removed from neglect, isolation. You can imagine how many people weren't seeing his smile, weren't seeing in his mouth, so to speak. He literally lived behind a he surgical mask. He lived behind a surgical mask. He lived, as a neurologist, perhaps not, but, yeah, but he still lived, he lived behind the, the surgical mask. His wife didn't know him. His children didn't know him. And um, he worked. And uh, he became a thing. And so a person loses the capacity to be sensitive to their own uh, motivations and to their own longings and wishes and needs. And Stephen, this person just simply disappears. And what's amazing about that, even godly people. Well, I'm thinking, like, that's got to be so true for pastors, like hiding in the pulpit. And they're a thing. Like yes. And they don't want to be. And they end up serving the people who demand that they not be human instead of serving the people who desire them to be human. And need another human to need serve Need another them. human to serve. Accursed is the man who depends upon his own flesh, who trusts in, in his own strength, whose heart is away from how he's made and how God made him. Jeremiah 17. Yeah, 17.5. And cursed means isolated. This is what we're talking about here. And a person can be a God-connected person and still wind up living a cursed life. So if I'm if I mean versus well, the blessed life. I mean well, and I really want to do good work, but then my identity gets tied up and my worth gets tied up in the work. Solution is becoming human, Stephen. Uh, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman, who trusts in how God made them as human and the God who made them to be in relationship with others and Him. This person trusts, which means that they're capable of depending, being truthful, asking for help. Back to being a five-year-old. Back to being a five-year-old who's grown. In other words, we're never going to escape our neediness. Our first language, Stephen, was the language of emotions and needs. That language didn't disappear when we became 12. See, but we got our master's degree or our PhD. or We lost God to the God of approval-seeking. We lost uh, our capacity for connection to, to, the, to the addiction of, uh, of approval. I mean, I believe our primary addiction, our primary compulsion in, in, in this world is approval-seeking. What will others think? Well, i interrupt you because you said before, which it blew my mind the first time I heard you say it, is that it's really not what they think. It's what I think they think is what's driving me. Yes. It, it, my idea, my ideal or my ambition to try to get them to think something that I want them to think about me that I think they're thinking, yes. is a, it is a mind scramble. And once leaders are trapped in their, their poll numbers, then they literally are spending their lives trying to change the way they think people think. 
Which Exhausting. Means, well, and they become controllers. And guess what people do with controllers? Or avoiders. Or avoiders, but they're, but they're, they're used. They're, they're giving their lives to the wrong people. They're really inviting to be you. Please and use me. Anyone who would use them doesn't care about them. And anyone who loves them, they won't let themselves be known. It's great tragedy. Mm. It's, it's heartbreaking. Solution is, uh, honestly, admission of powerlessness over being human. I mean, really and truly to admit that I'm powerless over being human. It's a positive powerlessness. Yeah. And that my life becomes unmanageable when I try to be something other, other than Other people human. would call it surrender. Yes. Well, actually, the second step of admission is surrender. That, that I, I give back over. Surrender means to render over. I give back over to God and those who love me the life I was made to have as a human being so that I can be returned to sanity, which means wholeness. Return to being somebody who is a human being who practices a competency. The competency is something I do. It's not who I am. Who I am is human, which is fully capable of making mistakes. Therefore, I need help from others to make sure I don't make as many. Or when I make them, I can correct them. Or when I make them, I can say I'm sorry for them. So like, welcome, to, welcome to the club of mercy and grace and forgiveness and caring and understanding and a reduction of lawsuits. And, you know, people, people are amazingly accepting if they can hear, I'm sorry. However, if you're ensconced in the people who are using you, they need you to make a mistake so they can attack you. If you're ensconced with the group of the people that you're human with and they, you've already found that they will accept you as human, they want you to go work out and come back and attend to their son after you're better, like that nurse, I mean that physician, ER physician. So, And then the third step is to live a life of acceptance of being human. When, then what that means is it takes a lifetime to learn how to live. No matter how great the vision, it's not going to happen. We do not live in heaven. We live on earth. Beckett said that we live on earth and there's no cure for it. That's not a fatalistic statement. It's a statement of reality in which the truth still has impact. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. Now, we live in reality, which means life is tragic, where the truth has impact. God is faithful. God is here. God is here with us. But remember, God is not the God of, of rescuing us from the life we have. But Emmanuel means the God who is with us in the life we have. So leaders need someone to be with them in the life they have so they can be human. And God can do for them what they'll never be able to do for themselves, become gods. God does not need other gods. This is Stephen James, the Executive Director of Sage Hill Counseling. Thanks for listening to the Sage Hill Podcast with Dr. Chip Dodd. If you're interested in learning more about how to lead from the heart, I encourage you to join Dr. Dodd in one of our upcoming Sage Hill Men's Therapy Intensives that's designed to help leaders re-engage their hearts both at work and at home. Visit sagehillworkshops.com to find out more. Further, if you're a therapist, a pastor, or professional that works with people and you'd like to be better equipped to help people live fully, we invite you to learn more about Sage Hill Training, an in-depth experiential training to help you bring your heart to the work you're called to do. You can visit sagehilltraining.com to find out more.